0: again, The School World Order. And in fact, I just had your book sitting here in front of me or beside me, and I just left it over there on the table. I'll have to slip off during the show and and go grab it over there. But, uh, you know, we we had a lot more. There you go. We had a lot more to cover (laughs) from your book. And again, thanks for citing me in your book there. I appreciate the mention. Hello to everybody in the uh, chat room tonight. Got a good show lined up. So thanks for joining up with us this evening. And uh, so we just, you know, we want to continue with our discussion on your book and your work. And uh, basically, what is your exposure of the coming technocracy, I would say? Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: And uh, trying to, the, the globalists' attempt to standardized education not for making smart people but for making people good workers in future tech technological factories uh you know in it type stuff whereas in the previous century it was the industrialist revolution now they want to focus on the technological revolution going into the into the future here and whatever else until they come up with the next revolution so uh Anyway, John, welcome back to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, John. How you doing?
0: Good. I'm doing pretty well. It's been a little bit chilly up here. It was like thirty degrees today, but uh, you know, nothing like the warm uh Southern California mountains in the in the middle of winter.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah.
0: So uh let's see here. Um you know, you, you go into the history of uh, UC Santa Barbara in your book. Uh, you know, in my own research, I kept coming across UC Santa Barbara as well, uh, with lots of nefarious char- characters going in and out of there. What did you, what did you find regarding uh, uh, UC Santa Barbara?
1: Well, that one I that's just kind of a case study of a series of what I'll call these public-private partnerships through what are called P-20 councils. Um, uh, there's P-20 councils, there's also P-16 councils. Um, and then sometimes they call them PK-20 or PK-16. So pre, the P stands for preschool, K is kindergarten, and then up to age 20. Sometimes they put a plus over it. And so basically these are public-private partnerships at the state level, which integrate networks of schools with, um, well, they they could either be in this in the case of UC Santa Barbara, it could be actually, uh, you know, a a, a state school. But sometimes these also are integrated with networks of what we call privatized charter schools, or public private charter schools. So a charter school is basically a private corporation. uh, But when it gets into a network like a P20 chain, uh, it can get federal or state tax dollars to to subsidize its operation so it's neither public nor private it's in this weird kind of uh, in-between space and so UC Santa Barbara has one of those um, and there's so many acronyms I you know all of them right well try, try, trying to right now, but I, trying
0: to follow follow them all in your book it's pretty pretty tough there's so many of these these groups that are you know, pretend they, they pretend to be for the children and for education, but what they're really doing is trying to create a, a monotonous, universal-type education, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Man, my thing is um, I'm getting, I didn't plug in my, my battery, dude. I got to grab a
0: battery. All right. My, my,
1: give me 10 seconds. All I'm right, no worries. <laughs>
0: well, while you're doing that, I'm going to grab the book. So excuse the interruption, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing like live snafus. All right. So at least I'm back. Hopefully, John will be here in just a second. All
1: yeah. right. Hopefully, that wasn't too distracting. Uh, sorry about that.
0: No worries. All right. So things happen when you're live that are unavoidable. You know, back in the day, I used to do uh, an edited show for, for many years, and it took, you know, a week to a month to edit the shows for each episode, and it was, you know, hours, sometimes days and days worth of work editing the videos, and then when you have live, they just go out, so... (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i had every i had the notes ready i had i'm like you know get my brain ready and then all of a sudden i'm going oh yeah it would have been nice to have a plug-in okay yeah
0: well that way your battery doesn't die right so all right let's get back to it so uh now why do you call it in your book why do you call it fascism rather than uh socialism or communism
1: well, I, I there's points in there where I do call it socialism and communism. Uh, I think I guess maybe maybe more of the emphasis is on fascism at this point because uh, you know the current administration is considered you know it's a Republican and so you know. Uh, but the fascists you know,
0: were leftists because uh, you know as the National Socialist German Workers Party, those were the Nazis, and they were leftist. Socialist is leftist, you know. But that's usually what fascism is compared yeah, well, to. And then they automatically clump, th- clump that with the right rather than the left.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, and so what I'm kind of getting at is that, you know, I, to me, you know, fascism and communism are kind of two wings of the same bird. It, it, in some ways, there are some nuances that you could say are administratively different. But ultimately, it's a merger of corporate uh, and, and the public sector. It's a, it's a merger of government and business. As uh, as in, in as defined
0: just... as defined by Benito Mussolini, anyway, correct. But I did see an article recently how uh, fascism came directly out of communism, along with socialism.
1: Well, I would say even further back, they both come out of Hegelianism, which is a theme that I kind of try to uh, thread throughout each chapter of the book, and so uh, the idea not only that. Uh, you know, for, for Hegel, he literally said that, you know, the state is God marching on earth. Um, but another principle of Hegelianism was this idea of evolution of ideas, and that those, those ideas would be manifest in different uh, dispensations of a, of a higher state. And so you could say that, the the left took it in the, in the uh, direction of communism or socialism. And then you know, you could say the right would, Took it in the direction of fascism or corporatism. I, you know, left and right. I think those. I think those terms are often uh, cloud the debate around what are the issues of right these incestuous relationships between government and business. I mean, I, I'm I'm fine with either label, but uh, in some ways, I think that the to, to to refer to it as fascism when the people in charge are Republican makes rhetorically more sense for a larger audience than to try to explain how that is communism, like, yes, right, that's, that's one angle, but there are several instances where I, where I very much refer to it as, you know, all basically shades of the same color, right, you know, um, so that's, that's kind of, that's, that, that's kind of why I would uh, take that, that, take that, angle. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then there's the whole communitarian aspect that I discussed on the show several years ago, and that's a whole other issue that needs a lot more exposing out there but uh you know the add this. the the right should Go technically course. be associated with righteousness and correct behavior not you know granted that there are leftists that infiltrate the right and you know paint the right wrongly but uh the, there's still that's still leftist behavior anyway didn't mean to digress too far there
1: no, I should, I wanted to add too. You know, so so what the, the Democrats are currently pr- pushing, a lot of them in this d- debate are what's called
0: community uh, schools. Yeah, you're cutting out a bit there. Community schools are Repeat pretty that. much
1: the same. I so so if you look at some of the debates, a lot of the Democratic candidates are pushing something called community schools, uh, and it sounds like, and and they also they also frame it as sort of the counter valence to uh, the charter schools, and so they act like it's somebody. I mean, it's got that uh, uh, that um, word "community" in it, so it's, you know, it, it suggests maybe more democratic, more public. But if you look at the the um, the actual bill, uh, how they define full service community schools in the Every Student Succeeds Act, they are public private partnerships as well. Pretty much the only difference is they mandate that you have to have social emotional learning, mental health, other health services, and then also Uh, Well, they call it criminal justice stuff. So behavioral interventions for criminal stuff. Um, But it's, but again, it's, you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's just, it's a slight shift on terminology and, and uh, how the money is distributed, but it's pretty much the same stuff, public private.
0: Let's talk about the. Uprising of technology in the classroom. Now, I remember when I was in, it must have been, oh, fifth grade. This is probably, I don't know, 1981 or 82. They brought in the first Macintosh computer into the school, into the classroom. And, uh, you, and when I was a kid, we were one of the first people in, the, in our area to have a TRS-80 computer, you know and programming the thing all day, and, and it would record it on a tape deck to uh, play a little video game like paddleball or something like that. How has technology affected the classroom in the last, well, it's 40 years since then?
1: So uh, at my level, uh, at the college level, well, at least at the community college, I mean, one of the main things everybody has to do is use what's called a learning management system. So it's basically an online platform where you hook up different modules that the students have to work on. Um, But then sometimes some courses at other colleges uh, might partner with uh, other private software companies with these programs that are called adaptive adaptive learning programs. And they basically, uh, they work on the function that you, um, you know, it's got some question answer or some problems to solve and the students through some sort of response on the keys uh you know gets a score and then they actually but they, then they also give you all these other metrics right so they don't just give you the student score for that particular assignment they give you like average score they actually give you a classroom view sometimes right like um, you know who what's the median and the mean and all that you know who's at the higher and lower ends it's supposed to i guess give you some sort of idea about who needs more help and, and things like that. Um, but those, but those programs are often, uh, well, they're basically built on the stimulus response method, the psychological method of conditioning. And they come out of uh, what's called the Skinner box or Skinner's box. So that's BF Skinner. And he was a psychologist, a behavioral psychologist who came up you're with jumping up. conditioning. You're, you're
0: jumping ahead of my notes here. <laughs>
1: oh. oh, anyway, man, go sorry. ahead. Uh, Yeah. So um, I I sent you
0: those earlier. But yeah, I got BF Skinner way down there for about another 30 minutes ahead.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, so I won't go too deep into him. All I'll say is this. I'll say that he came up with a thing called Skinner, the Skinner box. Right. And it's basically uh, um, it's a mechanized. He called it a teaching machine. And it was on these little um, you ever seen those. You probably remember um, uh, the Viewmasters the 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 disney so you want it would have like scenes from the disney cartoon right. you put this thing this goggles on you push right. this button and it wouldn't and, that, and yeah, this guy tortured
0: parts. his own daughter in those things too man
1: oh so they were based on yeah so i didn't want to get i was i was waiting on that stuff so so it go yeah those the, the the skinner box which is basically analog it's analog adaptive learning so it's it's the adaptive learning has software nowadays has screens and basically um, on a digital window, and then you have input, output on a keypad versus he would have question answer on a tape reel and you would, you would describe the answer on another window where the tape runs through on, on a circular gear. And then you would turn this knob analog as you went through it you couldn't go back and then it would, you know, it would do the same thing except it couldn't give you all these other statistics, but that, that machine that you're referring to or the Skinner box uh, was, the teaching machine was based on the the uh, experiments he did with animals, right, and pigeons and things like that. And also, yeah, he he basically used all those principles to to raise his daughter. Uh, and yeah, basically, did use like a box like did, has there
0: ever been a follow up study with his daughter to see how jacked up she was from his abuse.
1: You know, I'm not super familiar with that. I imagine there probably was because there was follow-up studies on Little Albert. Remember the Little Albert experiment with John B. Watson, who who
0: is a predecessor to B.F.
1: Skinner. And so, in you know, just to pop in a little brain world
0: like before. Well, in, you know, chapter, in, yeah. in my in my uh, database, since we're already on Skinner here, in my database, he was tied to the SRI's Changing Images of Man project, uh, which uh, of course was headed by Joseph Campbell and and worked on by guys like Julian Huxley, et cetera. But uh, this was a, a large part of what came out of the uh, CIA's MKUltra project. B.F. Skinner was also one of the people up at the uh, Esalen Institute, which, of course, was all uh, MKUltra, founded by uh, Aldous Huxley and Gerald Hurd. And then uh, you know they put a couple of other people in, in there to... Uh, run it what was the guy's name that was running it now i can't uh michael murphy and and the other guy dick price were in there and they were dick price was out of uh the harvard social relations department but tavistock all these these groups in there these guys were the hardcore socialists running this uh this thing and it was probably influenced by uh the new atlantis which was focused on creating different levels of communism in the society so that they could uh run this stuff and uh you know so bf skinner was tied to all these people he was tied to henry a murray over at the harvard social relations department uh, who of course was uh mk Ultra. and uh that's who uh, uh tim leary cia agent tim leary thomas Chiu, and then there's uh dick price right here and uh we can't forget to uh, Mentioned the uh, wonderful Dr. Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, was also out of that uh, same group of people. Of course, they tortured Ted Kaczynski, and then he, you know, he later became a professor of mathematics at uh, UC Berkeley. But he wanted to pay him back for the little human experiments they did on him, and so. You know what? One thing they don't talk about when you look at these Unabomber studies is he was going after all of these, you know, MKUltra pieces of shit. (laughs) You know? Yeah, exactly. Wow.
1: Well, well, yeah. So I didn't, you know, the Esalen, all that, those connections to Esalen, I actually learned from looking at your stuff. I didn't know about, I never heard of it before, before you mentioned it, honestly. And I, I was like, oh, okay. So I looked at that. And then you see is, yeah, all those guys together and, um, uh, you know, Huxley and and Skinner together makes sense because, like I said, chapter two is basically they're in what they call the Neo Pavlovian conditioning rooms. This is all on on a spectrum. So BF Skinner, he has his operant conditioning, but it's basically just a new name for stuff that goes all the way back. To Wilhelm Wundt, right. It goes back to there's El Thorndike before Skinner. Then there was John B. Watson. He's the guy that also did the what is it, the um, the little Albert experiment, right? And they took the little boy and uh, they wanted to see could they condition him to be scared of these furry uh, the, well, they were bunnies. And at first they could they would uh, make loud noises and things like that that would startle him whenever he was around these bunnies that he was that he actually enjoyed being around. And then eventually anything that looked like a bunny he was scared of and anything that had white fur, he was, he was scared of. And right. they never reconditioned that, that little boy. But in, the, <laughs> in, in that second chapter, uh, you know, that's basically that's what they do. They bring the kids out and they put books on down, they put flowers next to them. And then, and then when the babies come out, they're attracted to the books and flowers and then they set off electric shocks and these loud kaboom sounds. And the kid, it's basically, you know, it's a mass, it's an industrial scale little Albert experiment to get the kids scared of learning and scared of nature. Yeah, so I mean,
0: these, that. these people are just the utmost in, in and <laughs> psychopathy, you know, it's like Leary used to brag how, how much he was uh, a psychopath in his and uh, his works and writings. And there's a, a conversation between him and Charles Slack where Slack tells him I'm a psychopath. And Leary tells him, Dude, you're not in my league at all. You know, basically just telling them to sit down and shut up. Like, wait till you're, you know, a psychopath like me, <laughs> you know. And then Larry and and uh, Aldous Huxley were tied into all that stuff. But all of those guys are a nice little click. And when you, as you know, when you go into my database, these guys are all tied together, like Ivan Pavlov, tied to B.F. Skinner, Edward Bernays, and then Eugenics Population Control, Kurt Lewin. Ivan Pavlov's work goes down into, uh, mk ultra so not far to go and then you can just pick your you know the red guys those you know those are the top evil villains so you click up here at the top and then you can just go through like we got joseph campbell michael murphy all these people that are up at like ramdas up at uh assailant who worked with uh tim Larry. of course he he makes his his Sexual preference sounds spiritual by calling it Ramdas, but that's not what it is. Um, And uh, you just go right through the list here of all these guys. And then here's uh, Brzezinski that we have in your uh, book as well. So why don't you talk about Brzezinski for a minute?
1: So with him, uh, the the main uh, importance he has to the book has to do with a book called probably going to butcher the title but it's something in the technotronic era or america's role in the technotronic era i believe around the 70s so technotronic and i use that word probably more than i needed to in the book but just to meet that right to remind readers that this is that what we have coming here it's technology and electronics he's talking about the digital age the computer age information technology uh and basically how it would merge like we're talking about the public and the private sector into this i guess that was another thing i should have mentioned about that a, a better term for that would actually refer to both shades of communism and fascism is actually technocracy you know and so basically it's the rule by uh the, uh the efficiency of uh industrial economic uh evolution and uh, you know through computer technology and, and information technology, but uh, he actually talked about specifically education. He talked about, you know, didn't call it the Skinner box, but he said the telecommun communications would refer also to public-private partnerships facilitating it would be able, you'd be able to learn in your house on your little on your little screen,
0: right? Yeah, well, sure, You know, when you get right down to it, it starts even before all of this stuff. I mean, as soon as they developed radio. Uh, they started working on these things, which is what Dr. Hans Utter and I exposed in the uh, the War of the Worlds episode that we put out on Halloween of 2015. But that really lays out the, you know, the whole foundation of, of this type of, uh, you know, using media to control and manipulate the audience and whatnot. So this, you know, and they develop it and develop it and develop it further along down the line uh somebody was asking in the uh in the chat there if you can access the database from the website it is linked up at the top of the uh logos media website and you can just go there and uh here I'll just show you you can just go right here click on brain database and uh you can uh, access the database right there it should load up right here on screen there it goes and uh, I would recommend actually clicking the the link up here. Full screen online version is right there, but you can access the database there and go through it there. And I recommend spending at least a few days or weeks in there because there's 10, 15,000 connections in there. There's a lot. There's 12, 13 years worth of research in there. Sorry, John, go ahead. No,
1: that that is a really cool um, you know whole map there. It's it's actually uh, yeah very efficiently laid out. But uh, the computer, uh, the internet, actually as the Skinner boxes. I mean, we could just jump in there and not not just the the Skinner box in terms of the adaptive learning software, like the, that type of computer where it's designed uh, from the teaching machine. But the actual uh, you know the the way that social media sites and other websites are structured this is admitted by facebook are essentially to get you addicted and the way they do that is by manipulating your reward center this is based on the stimulus response method so i, I just give you one little you know example this is a good one so if you're ever on those social media things i don't do them uh the, the wife likes to do them you know I, other people scroll them and they'll show me a picture and sometimes i'll flip through them and you know you scroll down and if you notice if you want to center one post you have to bring up uh the beginning of the next one right and so you're always tantalized with the next post and i found myself you know hey what's the next one what's the next one that's kind of and you kind of get in this gambling thing where it's like that one wasn't very funny that one wasn't funny and then you got a good one and it's like hey let's end on a good note but no i want another funny one and so you go through three more bad ones This is this is based on the stimulus response system.
0: Right, so that you have to, and it's this idea that you discuss in your book, that you have to get the first uh, question or whatever uh, correct before you can go on to the the next one, essentially, right?
1: Yeah, and yes, yes. And then so those are also geared towards basically uh, different what they call career pathways, or if I guess if you're really good, you can get on the academic or the college track. Um, but most people are often put on this, what they call the career pathways, and that is based on how you respond. So the algorithm is looking at not just how you the answer you give, but how fast do you do you provide it and other types of metrics. Um, later in the book, it, it gets into how other types of devices can be attached to this to also keep track of other biologic, biometric responses, psychometric responses. So, you know, they can look at your eyes: are you paying attention to the screen? Are you wandering off and being distracted? Heart rate, things like that. Um, but they don't; they, those are not exactly you know in place. But those they have patents for them, and they do use them for other uh, therapeutic purposes so I mean they just have to you know, plug them in
0: yeah now I noticed in your book you bring up uh, the Electronic Freedom Foundation uh, from CIA agent John Perry Barlow what do you ha- what do you have to say about those guys so those
1: guys are only referenced uh, they charged or they made a suit against Google I think it's Google applications for education. Uh, Google. In one of these instances, I was making case studies of ways that, aside from the ways that public-private partnerships can kind of blur the lines between what information can be shared, uh, there's already cases where when schools contract with Google, um, using using just their their this GAF, it's called GAFE, Google App Case for Education. It's got some sweet. Uh, that they take information, they, they're data mining the students when they do that, and, and the stoop by EFF, uh, the charge is that they're using those that data to for behavior advertisements, uh, non-educational, right? So in other words, when, you, when they do a Google search later, Google's uh, using, I guess, Google Ads, AdSense or something to uh, data mine them as a broader consumer outside of education, which would say that. You know, that would be a misuse of educational data or educational records. And so I guess the EFF charged them or, or filed a suit against them in some, in some regard. Yeah, that, that's, that's all I referenced. Them did,
0: you, did you know that John Perry Barlow, who founded the EFF, was a member of the Grateful Dead promoting drugs to the youth? It was the organization was also funded by George Soros no. and uh, Stuart Brand. Who, of course, laid out the whole technological revolution and was a merry prankster. Ironically, uh, is who you know also supported the uh, the uh, found the Electronic Freedom Foundation. But Stuart Brand was behind the electro- uh, electric Kool Aid Acid Test. Uh, worked okay. with Timothy Leary, Gregory Bateson, who, of course, helped found the uh, the CIA. But, uh, you know, Myron Stolaroff was another one who was a uh, member of uh, Project MK Ultra. But these guys were, like, right in there. And, you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, it's, I, I find it ironic that even in your study, trying to expose education, that these same evil villains are tied into this stuff. I mean, they, he's filing the lawsuits through his EFF organization – Meanwhile, he's tied in with guys like uh, Peter Lamborn Wilson, the 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 pedophile who goes by Hakeem Bey. He's tied with Tim Leary. He's tied with the Grateful Dead. He's tied with the Millbrook Mansion. Um, you know, working with uh, working under Dick Cheney, etc. So very uh, interesting. But he died like almost what was it, almost two years ago. Uh, I think. Right when he started getting exposed publicly as a CIA agent, like that, like that week, uh, he had a heart attack and died.
1: Yeah, I don't know much. I don't. I mean, I didn't know any any background to that. I just knew that they're the people that, that filed the suit, which is all, which is interesting though to know that background because, uh, you know, Google itself is you know has CIA background. Yeah, it's a CIA, it's a it's a CIA front
0: for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Glad you yeah. brought that up. In, yeah, people, you can't forget Inkytel. In fact, uh, let's see here. Let me see if I can find that here. Yeah, here well, it let's... is right here Incutel. So, yeah, it's CIA front, Google, and then of course, Google owns YouTube, et cetera. And uh, where are we broadcasting right now? <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: right. I... <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so, I mean, but that's a good example too of those sometimes. You know what I what which is a theme in the book, which is the dialectic. You know, what I mean, sometimes, sometimes a conflict maybe is the conflict is there not because the two people, the two sides are actually in conflict, but it's there's an outcome that both that both sides want uh, that, that they desire by some either social or political third party intervention through through the conflict. So I I oftentimes try to uh, use a little bit of skepticism. Them, uh when i see conflict right or between you know, political conflict geopolitical conflict and look at it more how does how does the t- how does the conflict what does that do for what are the outcomes for the rest of the players involved as opposed to looking at like this person or this entity versus that you know so you know i, I don't know you know that that you know you know maybe maybe that's a a, a window for more regulation you know i mean uh, you know for, for for more of that
0: I don't know. yeah um, yeah. I just wanted to say thanks uh, really quick to Mr. Winners for uh, throwing up a super chat there. Please support the show. We can't do it without all your uh, support out in the audience. Uh, also, uh, you know, people can reach out to you and me through, they can get to me through the Logos Media website, logosmedia.com. How do people reach you by chance, John? Well, so
1: you can go to the schoolworldorder.info website, and then the, 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 there's an email there. It's, It's Taoist Professor, but it's spelled with a T. So it's T-A-O-I-S-T, professor at gmail.com. And and
0: we'll give out your info again at the end, but uh, just want to put that out for people who are looking for it. Uh, So how are computers being used to control and manipulate our children's education in the classroom?
1: so we kind of touch in where we're starting on we've touched on it a little bit and right. a lot of that is that um so i can throw out some specific names of the the uh, companies or the software um the adaptive learning software. it's called so some would be smart sparrow uh there's the dream box uh uh newton spelled with a k-n-e-w-t-o-n um Clever is another one, Um, and so these companies basically uh, are partnering with schools um, at all all grade levels, Um, and at the earlier stages, uh, and some of this is anecdotal just from all the people I know with children, which is that a lot of schools, they have to have the tablets. If you have to have the tablets, um, that means you have to have a lot of times that software is on there, okay, and so... um, those things are, they pitch them as, they call it individualized or personalized learning because the idea is that you can learn at your own pace, right? You can take your time with the module. If you're faster than those students, you can move ahead. If you need to take a little more time, you can take a little more time. But the catch is that that algorithm is very narrow and the pathways that it decides for you based on your responses are very narrow. And um, so it's essentially what I've referred to as it's a, you know, it, it's a cast system. It's for a cast system, essentially, right. And it's to, uh, some of these curriculums sometimes are there's all sorts of partnerships through some of the channels that we referred to as the P20 or P16 uh, networks where basically not just there's a private company that um, is subsidized to, to provide the software, but also there might be um, some partnership with a a local industry. And so they can pump you into a job with that particular company or that particular industry that is in demand. Sometimes they call them one-stop shops. And some of this also, you get extra federal funds for some of these programs through stuff that's called WIA and WIOA. So one is the Workforce Opportunity and Investment Act. And the other one is, I think, the Workforce Initiative Act. that that I might be wrong on my eyes on some of those, but those are federal laws that basically uh, facilitate these types of what they they call career pathways. And so, um, so that's, that's kind of where it's at in the classroom now. Interestingly, um, you know, some of the, a lot of the Silicon Valley people—they don't send their their children to schools where they do a lot of that stuff. They actually there's a school called the Waldorf School where they basically don't use any type of uh, IT or digital computer technology until they're. My my
0: uh my sister teaches at a Waldorf school actually.
1: Okay, okay, and so yeah, um, what they do there is they they you know they basically abstain from using those those stimulus response mechanisms You, you should understand too that even if even if the tablets or the the devices that the students are using don't have the adaptive learning software as as we've just mentioned the internet itself uh and computer technology itself is largely built to uh basically interface with that 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 reward mechanism that stimulus response mechanism so if a student, if a, if a young child has a tablet at a, an early age, they've, there are studies that show it literally rewires the, the brain chemistry, the brain structure in different ways, because you're not actually learning in an abstract, you're not thinking in an abstract way, uh, in, in a formal logic way or, or, you know, we call, you know, logos. You're, you're, you're learning how to interface with the device. You're learning how to, Get the information through the device, not through your own reasoning, through your own introspection. And so uh, there's, you know, so that's the other way that those devices are uh, changing the way young people learn.
0: Yeah, you know, we should uh, do an episode sometime about, uh, you know, how to go to a library and dig through the archives and whatnot and find actual data, you know, and the actual process that we as real researchers would go through to dig something out, you know, like flying to Princeton and going to the mud or Firestone libraries or the, uh, you know, one of these libraries there at Princeton and pulling up the, the, the actually have them pull out the carts of all of the stuff. And then you sit there all day long flipping through pages of information, hoping you find stuff. And that's, you know, that's how we, have exposed most of the stuff that we have here is by pulling these these documents out of archives, you know. And and most of that stuff is still hidden down there in those archives and, and is not, you know, in digitized form yet. And they don't want a lot of it digitized. Like I was sitting there reading uh, Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles's private letters one day about their mom and getting ready for Christmas and whatnot, you know. I'm sure they don't like it. Like uh, the CIA doesn't like your average Joe sitting there. And while I was in the Firestone Library at Princeton, they have some agents sitting behind me in, in a library that's not that easy to get into, just sitting there acting like he's just there to read a newspaper. It's not where you would go just to read a newspaper, you know, but I had an appointment to be there. Nobody else is in the room but this guy who sat there watching me the whole time going through these documents, you know. All uh... those
1: places like Carnegie, I I was gonna when my the eugenics research, I I called Carnegie because they don't. You can get pretty much all the Rockefeller uh, annual reports online, and they moved them around on the website several times. Uh which, but the last time I checked, I could still find them. Going all the way back to when it was founded, and I believe it's 1914 is, it, I believe, is the year. The Carnegie Foundation. They only give you like the last ten years, and then it's like if you wanted, you like, hey, can I? Uh, can you send me? They say, come on down, and we'll we'll check you in, and you know, of course, you know, they want they want to know. Who's working.
0: Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching. <clears throat> right
1: yeah i get them I always get them. there's the carnegie foundation there's the carnegie institute there's the carnegie corporation there's three of them one does science right. one does you know i get them mixed up but yes that's the one carnegie, them, yeah.
0: carnegie international endowment for peace is another one but the uh, education one and then the carnegie mellon university you know carnegie libraries carnegie uh aspen institute all these things are, are running controlled by the carnegies and uh uh, that's out of the Pilgrim Society, interestingly enough. And uh, Carnegie was at uh, uh, worked with John Pierpoint, Pierpont Morgan, as did, uh, of course. Uh, I, th- I think that's the correct correct Morgan. That could be senior and not Jack Junior. Uh, Jack Junior actually worked with Gordon Wasson, who was MKUltra Subproject uh, Fifty Eight. But all of these guys. You know, it's it's interesting when you go through all of these people, you keep coming back, you know, we were just talking about uh Waldorf. Uh Rudolf Steiner was another one behind uh MK Ultra and this stuff. He he died before then, but it's claimed that uh Albert Hoffman, who's the so called discoverer of L S D, which I don't buy for a second, I think it was Arthur Stoll, uh, he was behind the the uh the creation of lsd and whatnot and there's uh evidence that goes back that he was actually the the person who recommended the creation of lsd and that's a quote by uh willis harriman of uh, the stanford research institute so all these guys are in cahoots they're all dirty they're all you know they're all rubbing elbows in the back it takes us like you know 60 70 years to flush it out and write a book about it. they're so far ahead of us on this stuff by the time we figure it out you know they're like they're they're already dead by the time we figure out what they did you know
1: <laughs> yeah one The funny thing i when i first learned about esalen institute for me i you know all these were this nexus one of these places where this nexus is like google this up and i look at just kind of flip through their website and one of their they had a conference coming up i think it was april last year it was called Hacking the mind, hacking the hacking something to, it was about, we had Stanford people, it was about brain computer interfaces. It's like, okay, so there you go. The cherry on top, right? That's the right. cherry on top. And you're
0: like, okay, Jan's right. All right. You know, <laughs> didn't and take I
1: always think it was interesting. You know, I mean, you know, Huxley never mentioned any of that stuff in the, in the novel, but funny thing is, you know, you talk about these guys all getting well, together. I had this rare book, it's called High Priest and it's got Larry and, uh, it's got uh, Huxley and um, man, who's the guy that did Howl? Um,
0: oh, that's that sick uh, pedophile, uh, what's his name? Oh, Ginsburg, Ginsburg, yeah, right? Allen Ginsberg, Ginsburg. yeah, that sick and pedophile. Then, that's um, the one,
1: and I think Ron Doss is in there, and uh, but there's so, and it's 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 weird the way it's laid out, but long story short is that there's a little vignette in there where Huxley and Leary are that's a little dialogue between them, and for whatever reason uh, overpopulation comes up from all this Huxley in a, in a conversation about it's, it's largely focuses on psychedelics and the, the I Ching and the Tibetan book of the dead and all that type of esoteric stuff. But, but there's a, but he gets into this, he goes on this tangent about overpopulation in the middle of it. It's it just, it tells you something about what else is, you know, what else goes on in these circles, right? It's not just whatever they're publicizing.
0: right. Well, and, uh, let me see. Um, let me just look up neologisms here really quickly because it seems like you know most of these neologisms are developed by the by the Huxley family or their friends, and it seems like there was one regarding technocracy or something like that. Uh, oh, oh, Julian Huxley uh, is who coined transhumanism. Here's Julian right here, but he actually coined the term trans uh, transhumanism. And so, you know, speaking of uh, technocracies, so, you know, we have, you know, it's like he's behind the eugenics movement. He's, you know, uh, get this, their their, uh, grandfather coined the word agnostic, you know, and you start following this stuff through and uh, you start seeing who he also coined the term Darwinism. But you see all these neologisms that are popular today came out of the uh, Huxley family, like Aldous Huxley coined the term, the pill that women all like to use today.
1: Okay. Well, you know, I, I often say that Darwinism should be called Huxleyanism because Darwin was also a shy, shy person. He didn't want to be the spokesman. He didn't want to go to lectures. And and, and so Huxley was called Darwin's bulldog. Cause he liked it. Well, yeah, that. he, he
0: was, he was, he was, uh, Darwin's propaganda manager. You're spot on about that. And then, uh, what, what uh, Thomas Henry Huxley did was uh, he created a group called the X Club, which uh, was it consisted of ever, uh, Edward Franklin, George Buss, Herbert Spencer, John Lubach, John Tyndale, uh, Joseph Hooker, Thomas Archer Hurst, William uh, Spottiswood. And these guys were all placed in specific universities to propagate and propagandize this horseshit shit uh, that we call Darwinism today. That was all put out there by this guy, uh, Thomas Henry Huxley. You know, but all of these MKUltra people and the eugenicists, et cetera, all center around uh, the Huxley family. I've never researched anything on any of this stuff that wasn't in one way or another connected to one of the Huxley family members. You know, lots of people uh, who watch the show, they would play the drink, the drinking game whenever we mentioned the name Huxley. They would take a drink. So, I mean, if there's any listening tonight, they're they're getting freaking wasted. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the book that he, that he
1: coined the term transhumanism in is called uh, New Bottles for New Wine. Actually, a spin on, a, on a, a Christian verse. I can't know, it's the New Testament. I don't know which one off the top of my head, but it's the idea of being reborn, right? And so you don't put basically. I'm gonna paraphrase, it in the New Testament, it's something to the really effect of you don't put old or new wine in an old skin because I guess what it would do is it would inflate and it would, you know, it wouldn't. the skin would somehow decay or it would pop or something so he had to have a new skin for new wine and this so he's basically inverting right this uh with this chris christian well that's that's where the, that's whatever. what
0: huxley's do is invert that's really their only intellectual move you know apparently uh who created the term tinfoil hat i don't
1: know that one actually
0: Oh, dude. I actually found this in the Firestone Library at Princeton. So let's pull that up. And that was... uh, That was... Let me just see here. Go back to neologisms. Boy, I got far from that page. Uh, So here's tinfoil hat. That was coined by Sir Julian Huxley in an article called The Tissue Culture King that I found at princeton and there is the quote right there what year uh you know i didn't write down the year when uh, i was okay, there okay. let me see if here's here it is i'll just show the whole article on screen here uh oh come on here it is all right so but, the, you know, it's this short article, Tissue Culture King, I don't see a date on it. I was just curious, because I, I how, how long have they been using
1: the term is I'm curious how long they've been using
0: it. Well, since Huxley's time, you know, <laughs> I mean, you, you can't think without using a Huxleyan neologism. Yeah, I mean, the whole,
1: the whole uh, I guess... Hippies or counterculture, a lot of it, anyways. Uh, well, a lot of that comes out of Huxley. Right. A lot of the science well, fiction writers of, of the yeah,
0: a lot of. Them. You, well, see the psychedelic revolution. You can't give the name the psychedelic revolution to a Huxley, because that was actually Humphrey Osmond, Huxley's personal doctor. So, yeah, you know, I didn't
1: get into um like ph- pharmaceuticals or drugs, or as far as the influence, you know, because and I, there's a lot you could just off the top of my head with ADHD medicines and things like that. But what I did go on, I, I didn't go into the pharmacotropic uh, aspect of it, but they are actually coming up with, I'm jumping ahead in the book. Yeah. You probably didn't get to this yet. Uh, which is that, This will be uh, for
0: our next show, but anyway, you're going to, you're going to give a little, uh,
1: yeah, they, they have computers that basically are are prescriptions for your ADHD, and so it's through bio, biofeedback technology. One one of them is actually run by uh, the the a company called Neurocore, and it's funded by uh, Betsy DeVos and her and her husband. She had she was on the board of the company all the way up until she became the uh, the um. Uh, Secretary of Education, and Then, then she said, I've stepped down from the board but did not divest her uh, her shares. Uh, this company, one of the things it does is, so, you, so I guess, you, to treat ADHD, you sit down in front of this thing, and uh, you're supposed to pay a certain amount of attention, and it tracks it with uh, EEG and other biofeedback, you know, they call it galvanic skin response, so it has to do with your electrical conductivity, your skin, things like that. Uh, but basically, it's looking at your brain waves and when your brain waves give off a signal that indicates that you're not paying attention, the the screen, whatever game that you're playing or whatever video is on their halts. and then and then so so you have to make some adjustment to get the screen going again. I guess it's supposed to rewire. At some subconscious level, your 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 autonomic systems, you know, be more focused and more attentive. That that's one company, but there's others. One's called Akili A K I L I. You got off some. It's a game based learning prescription. So uh, that's another way that technology
0: yeah and and, that, and and never mind that the ADHD is probably diet and nutrition related and having all of this techno, technological garbage in the first place. You know. So now oh, yeah. no I mean now for they're for gonna sure. use the cause for the cure, right?
1: And that's what I mean by like I didn't get into like you know that that aspect of it, but you're absolutely right. I mean, um you know you I'll, I'll, just anecdotally, I remember when I used to compete in uh, new martial arts competitions, you had to get a blood test. It would always give you a depression questionnaire for no reason. And it was always odd to me because they'd ask these questions like, "Are you?" Feel? I'm like, "No, I'm ready to go." <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm feeling great. I'm you know, and then it was like, "Why are you asking me these questions?" Well, if you if you check yes on any of those, they're gonna they're gonna offer you some pharmacotropics, or right? they're gonna offer you a, a prescription for something. And so, uh, you know, I know I have other anecdotal you know stories I could tell about people that said, you know, the first thing they're offered is a prescription. It's not, "Hey, how much are you sleeping? Do you do you exercise? Do you get off the couch at all? Do you you know like are you?" things like that it really do it's not just the endorphin that you get from actually sweating and stuff but you feel accomplished i'm getting off topic from education but you're
0: right you're absolutely right all right so we we went way off the uh uh, outline but yeah we'll have to get into some of that next time i have you back so uh oh teaching for corporations jobs rather than thinking Uh, i guess we kind of already covered that last show a bit you want to go into that anymore
1: So, um, I guess we kind of touched on some of it today as well. All right. We talked about what's called the career pathways, I guess, maybe I could say that, you know, it's, it's important to mention this because I don't go deep into, I mentioned a couple of times, I use the term community schooling, right. Um, but I largely refer to charter schooling as the current mode of school privatization that facilitates these public private partnerships. That are that basically funnel the students into jobs, uh, as opposed to you know uh, a higher mind. Okay, um, <clears throat> I went in one direction and then I lost my train of thought there. Um, sorry about that. Where was I, What was I saying? For. <laughs>
0: You need more butter and fat in your diet. You had a brain. Oh,
1: that might be what it is. I I do that at this. At about an hour in here, I do. My brain starts to get foggy. Yeah, my brain starts. No, See, I Whenever
0: what I, I, whenever I, you know, have a brain failure, I just drink some more uh, butter.
1: You're on the keto, the keto stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So what I so the, so what I meant to say is that the the book focuses on charter schooling as the main mode of privatization, but um and those would be called career pathways curriculums but in the community schooling package they'll call it pipeline services okay and but these are the same things it's basically a school is partnered with uh particular companies it usually has to do you know with the whatever is the uh industry that is you know the big one in the, in the local area and they'll facilitate <laughs> through what's called a one-stop shop okay um so that's but yeah we, we covered a lot on on workforce uh training i guess i guess we could talk about how uh the stimulus response method is built into that um some of the terms they use are called outcomes-based education or competency-based education okay so so if you're training the students for uh, a career pathway for a charter school or a pipeline service for a community school, which are the same things, they're just right-wing terms and left-wing terms. Uh, basically, um, what you'll do is um, – <clears throat> I lost my train of thought. I that. Dude,
0: um, Brondo, I swear. You know, it's got electrolytes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It has to do with filling the quotas either way. And so that means that you only need competency for a particular outcome. That's what it was. When I when I split my brain into the charter, into the community school, <laughs> I had two threads. But either way, both of those use a philosophy called competency-based education or outcomes-based education. These are spins on the same term. It means that there's a predetermined outcome. The outcome has to do with filling a particular quota that's predetermined by a public-private partnership with a company and the government. whether you call it, a pipeline or a charter school. Okay, and that's, and that's it's basically. not
0: to create a bunch of critical thinkers who use the trivium and can master their own education and become polymaths and autodidacts and whatnot. They want people who need to be told what to think and what to believe. You know, I remember when I first. I, you know, I worked in uh, IT for years. I was a network engineer, ran a company network and stuff for a while. But uh, I remember when I was in IT school one day, it all hit me what logic really was, you know. And it just like gong. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like nobody had ever taught me. I just figured it out sitting, at, sitting there in class one day. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget when I figured it out and then maybe – It was probably seven eight it was probably six years after that when i got the trivium and then it all really started clicking together but uh you know they're not going to give you that level of teaching there was a newspaper article that came out of texas maybe eight nine years ago that said that they didn't want to teach kids logic because they didn't want kids questioning the adults you know and that's not the right attitude i mean nobody grows if nobody's questioning and learning and if an adult can't admit that they're wrong about something when a child questions them if they are in fact wrong. You know, then nobody learns from that. It's a lost opportunity. But uh all right, so I wanted to mention the Final Revolution. Let me see if I can find it in my article. I think it's in uh spies and academic clothing. So, let's see here. Is this the Huxley interview? Uh it's a quote. It's a it's a final. No, I don't know. It's in one of my papers, the final revolution. Okay. But, uh, you know, Huxley was talking about how he wanted to mind control the world and how this was the final revolution, what they were doing. And uh, boy, where is that? It's got to be in one of my articles. See, I can't remember what's in my own stuff anymore. You know, you, you get that after you write something, you can't remember what you wrote.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I have more sympathy for like when I look at the students and they got the two or three page paper and I'm like, don't you know? This? But now, you know, when I get, when I write big stuff like the book today, I'm like, when you mentioned GAFE, you know, the Google, I said, I gotta look at that. I don't remember EFF. I remember <laughs> remember it, but I don't remember it, right? You know, I right. got a vague sense of
0: all right, so anyway, the final revolution was Huxley's idea where that they were going to use barbiturates and whatnot. It may have been his conversation with uh, George Orwell, Eric Blair, about uh, their final dumbing down of the population so that they couldn't fight back anymore. And they were, you know, the, them and the uh, Fabian Society, they were all Fabian socialists. But this was what they really wanted, was to give the government the ultimate control. This is what the psychedelic revolution and all that was about, was to create this total system of control for the government and for these elites and, and, you know, psychopaths like Aldous Huxley and whatnot, who using their own, uh, their self-appealing ad fallacy put themselves as the grand masters of the whole scheme. But, uh, so this final revolution was the final battle where everybody was under their control. You know, the alphas, betas, del- deltas, epsilons of the brave new world, et cetera. So, you know, it's gone from using the drugs, essentially, to using this this technocracy, this outcomes-based education to achieve this and to lead the kids along, not to grow them intellectually, but to give them enough education and thinking to be able to do their job or to program and whatever. I don't know. It's probably not even C plus plus anymore. I don't want to sound that outdated, but whatever they're using these days, you know, um, to be able to handle this type of work and nothing more, they don't want people that it can go out and beyond that.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, in brave new world, that final revolution, um, one of the things they talk about or the world controller mentions is he says that basically a good ruler, good ruling is done from the buttocks. What that means is you're sitting down and you don't have to intervene with any sort of force, right, and how do you do that? Well, it's basically by making the the subjugated population incapable of free thought, and so, uh, you know, yeah, they, they would
0: no longer need to use any force because people were so dumbed down that they didn't need any force to do it anymore. Whereas the trivium, on the other hand, created everybody who is intellectually competent. It would be like giving everyone a firearm. Everybody's equal. Everybody has the trivium, they're all equal. You know? It's like like they say, you know, uh Samuel Colt was the great liberator of men. He made God created all men, Samuel Colt made them equal. And so, uh, you know, the trivium gives everybody, and, and the quadrivium gives everybody an equal intellectual footing. And the, uh, you know, being able to defend yourself gives you that same defense on the, on the physical plane. So, you've, you know, you have to master your physical and intellectual. If you're just, you know, if you only, you know, learn jujitsu, but you don't learn the trivium, the mental jujitsu, how do you defend yourself? That's where I was going at with that.
1: Yeah. So, um, well, yes, yeah, there's a there's a part in Brave New World where um, Linda, uh, it's the it's what they call they call him the savages. Uh, he's the Savage? She comes from the reservation. His mother was actually from the the World State where they're all genetically engineered, uh, and uh, she's trying to tell him stories about how that place was. And she worked in this chemical factory. He so says, "Where did the chemicals come from?" Right. And she says, I don't know. It probably came from another factory. Right. And so basically um, what that's an illustration of is kind of what we're talking about. That's competency based education, you know, just enough to be able to perform your function in the uh, economic chain. Right. To basically get the product either uh, developed or delivered in whatever stage it's at in the, in that chain. Uh, and interestingly, it was the world controller at the end who says that the reason why he was chosen to be the world controller was because he was doing illicit science, basically. And then there the, he, he, the the people he has there who are in trouble, it's Helmholtz Watson and the Savage, uh, they basically say, you know, what do you mean by that? You tell us that science is everything. How can it be illicit? You know, he was, that's basically our religion. He doesn't quite say that, but that's what he says. And he says, well, no, no, you all just have a cookbook. I was actually doing real science. I was practicing the scientific method. I was thinking of my own formulas. I was thinking outside of whatever equations I was given in my cookbook, uh, whatever recipes I was given in my in my cookbook. So that's comp- you know, that's the that's the difference, right? This person and he actually has when they were talking to him, they find that he's in this, you know, this private, you know, I guess we call it, you know, an ivory tower or something, and it's got Shakespeare in the Bible, and he can read all the stuff he wants to read. And he can think how he wants to think about it. Um, And so that's, you know, that's, that's basically what we we would call your classical education that involves when it when everybody has that when everybody learns that it's also called civics. Right. And that's not what we do. That's obviously not part of an adaptive learning software. I mean, maybe there might be some historical factoids that they want you to Memorized, predetermined, but as far as learning, reading the Federalist Papers, and understanding, right, what are the, the the logical reasons for why why we have the the frame of government that we have, right, and being able to participate in it, um, you know, that is not competency based education either, right?
0: So, Talk about uh, the eventual goal of removing uh, teachers from education from the classroom and just having this uh, this computer teacher uh, AI intelligence teach our kids?
1: So you're already kind of, you're almost halfway there because the times that I've had to use some of the adaptive learning software, they the students know, you know, I think everybody does this you no know, matter how, you know, committed or how how you perform as a student, um, got a lot of stuff. Sometimes you figure out where are the most points at and focus on those, right? Because, you, you know, you're, you're very concerned about your grade Maybe sometimes in the institutional setting, more than learning the the, the information of the content. Okay, um, so in, in that instance, um, I need to stop taking tangents like that because I, I lost my I lost my I lost my. I train think we were box. talking
0: about ADHD earlier, and you just left back there, and you know.
1: <laughs> I know. I think I used to say that I was supposed to have that one. Maybe they maybe there was something right about that um i get to, I get two two trains of thought going there right um
0: up up your butter intake then you can go like 60 70 thoughts and still manage to pull it back you know, the other thing actually, is we're this, at the, it's it's actually brondo i swear brondo
1: it's 12 hours in, into my day man you know i do i teach it to two schools and i'm zipping and zapping and by, by this time i get like i get serious brain fog but um <laughs> Yeah. I, you know, what, what was the, what was the, oh the the AI replacing the teachers. Okay. So when you're using the adaptive learning software, the students are focused on their grades. And so what that means is that uh, when they, when they require that software to be a certain percentage of the the course grade, what they they do is the students are trying to get on the computers and get to finish those modules while you're trying to give them the lessons about how to actually do the modules. And so you're, you're basically competing with the, the computers, right? You're basically competing with them already, so they've got them. They call that a blended learning scenario, and so the class is basically half uh, online or half computer, and it's half uh, brick and mortar, face to face lecture, paper, right? And stuff. Okay, so you're already halfway there. Um, now, on my end, it's supposedly supposed to help me out because I can see these. Individual metrics for each student. I can also see the group metrics, and somehow that's supposed to help me to give some personalized or individualized instruction. I mean, you know, you can all, you can usually anecdotally see this stuff without looking at these little pie charts and bar graphs that they give you. Um, so that's how it's supposed to help you. But we keep going down that path. What they also have is they have some of these automated services. Uh, Usually at colleges, maybe at some nicer high schools, where it's basically a tutoring bot. You know, kind of functions like some of those, um, you know, voice automated services, customer services you'd use on, you know, on for any for any given company. Um, And so, terrible. Kind of go down that path, and then you got to understand that these machines are data mining the whole time.
0: Right. So they're learning how to be more
1: efficient the more you use them. So they're learning from you. You're teaching them. As much as they're teaching you, and eventually, you know, if you look at that trajectory kind of from from a bird's eye view, you have to you have to think well, what is really the end, end game? Is it really that these things are making it more efficient for us to learn and have, you know, classical logos and think like the trillion? or is it that we're teaching the machines, we're programming them every time that we use them, and every time they're doing something that's making helping us, making it easier, more efficient? What they're really doing is I mean, they're doing, it's like a digital lobotomy. I mean, yeah, they're carving they're, out parts there you of your go. own mind.
0: That's well said. That's what your book should have been called, digital lobotomy.
1: <laughs> uh, well, that's, I mean, you know, if you look at some of, uh, who's the guy, uh, Delgado, Jose Marwell. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: Delgado. yeah. That guy was a freaking yeah. psychopath. Wow. Talk about M.K. Ultra Freak Show. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, and that's literally what it was. I mean, a lot of what he had in there was... For people that you know, I guess had uh, you know sometimes temper- temperamental disorders or things, and so he said, oh, they were very violent. And this thing was essentially, he, he said, it was better than the lobotomy because it, it left the brain intact. It didn't scramble them up with the with the rod or whatever they would it would stick in there. And so you know, and, and, you know, the, so that's the that's the end that's the end game. So once, in other words, once the computers, you have to also think. Listen, if a computer can teach a human being better than another human being that means it can think better than another human being if it can think better than another human being what are you good for that's what the brain chip is for right. because you need it to be able to actually be worth something you have to interface with it. and now, then you ask the question why are why would you do something why would you build these computers that look like they're going to replace people well it's either you know musk will say i'm coming up with neuralink neural as a the savior to help prevent AI. Why don't you just not build AI? Both <laughs> goals are what they want, is how I read it. You get, it's tautological. It's the third law of formal logic, right? It can't be, it's one or the other. It's not both and neither. So if you really were scared of it, you wouldn't build it. And so if you, but if you're going to build it, then that means that the chip is not to save you. It means that the chip, both of those are for the same end goal and they always have. That's how I read it. You know, maybe I misinterpret it, but that's how I, that's how I infer that.
0: Now, I spoke to a uh, teacher earlier today about your book. Just give you a heads up here. <laughs> and uh, given her the gist, gist of it. And her response was, I don't think teachers will become obsolete because learning is a social process. So, this is a,
1: this is a... This is where we're talking semantics and word in word games. I mean, so now what what is a social process? That could be basic. No, I mean, this, you have to think like this. You really right. do. You have to think like a deconstructionist. You have to instead of thinking the word means what it means in its grammar, you have to you have to say what are the other contexts and what and so think about it like this. If a community Well, school well her,
0: her argument was that it couldn't be because she's worked in a classroom for 15 years. You know, that was that was her argument.
1: Well, I mean, I've been in one for 10 years. I mean, not you know, I've, you know, I'm in, the, I'm at the college level. What do I, I don't see what's in the high school and the middle school level. I read a lot about it and I know what the KIPP structure is. I mean, you know, so uh, some of this, right. You have to actually look out, you have to look at it from a bird's eye. If you only paid attention to what you're doing in your classroom, that's, that's a very narrow box. Now, if that's you my, That's myopic, right. If you only pay attention to what's happening in your department, that's still very narrow. If you only pay attention to your college, it, it keeps going all the way up to, you know, to the international level. It really does. And you know, we talked about stuff like Carnegie, Ford Foundation. Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates is on the is on the outline. Uh, these are all, you know, we go back to Rockefeller Foundation. This is where the agenda is set. It goes down through these public-private partnerships, and then it gets goes to the dean or the trustees then to the dean then to your department then to you and so it also happens on an incremental basis so you know probably I imagine this this particular teacher probably doesn't hasn't heard of a lot of the biofeedback technologies the tutoring uh, the tutor bots there's there's in in Japan it's not Sophia that's the one that's made by Ben Gertzel it's I I can't think of it. there's a there's an actual robot in Japan it's in the book uh, it looks like a humanoid, and it teaches. It stands in front and gives lessons. I mean, so you know, in the in in Korea, Japan, they actually have like not just bots, like AI. Maybe we should say is of two types. They call it dumb AI and then smart AI or, or general AI. So the dumb AI is basically just your basic algorithm on uh, an adaptive learning software, but your but your general AI, which they don't quite have yet, would be something more that can that has cognitive abilities to reason like a person but they do have something that's kind of in between so it looks like a human and it can do really sophisticated stimulus response algorithms so like you know nobody has that in the u.s but they have these things so the other thing about a social process is that you know when you start talking about redefining the human body that you you blur the lines between biology and technology i mean social can be Transhumanists talk about instead of uh, human rights, they, they refer to this term they call it personhood. You have people in bioethics, lawyers, talking about how are we going to redefine civil rights in terms of not just human rights, but personhood rights when we start having bots and machines that can basically reason the way that we can.
0: Right, and they're already talking about it. Right, and they're already trying to add this, these things to. Uh human rights, giving them driver's licenses, all this kind of stuff, you know?
1: And that's so, you know, and so we right. And when you you can, you can even hear some of that language. Look at some of the, there's a, there's a charter, a UNESCO charter, United Nations Educational Scientific Cultural Organization, UNESCO. Founded by Julian
0: Huxley. Sorry, folks. I know you're getting hammered.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, founded by him by him and in it you you can look if anybody wants to read that one you can get the pdf online for free all right it's 1946 or 47 um but in there he talks about eugenics he also talks about uh overpopulation this is a guy that later founds the world World wildlife fund but in the unesco charter uh this is a newer charter i don't know a few years tops okay it's in the book uh it basically talks about human rights but it talks about it, you know, in terms of you know, having access to technology. It also has another charter where it mentions transhumanism. Put the two together and think think about what do you get, right? So human rights means access means everybody should be plugged into something because that's, I mean, that's the next stage in evolution. So why, you know, if you don't plug in, if you if you didn't give everybody access, that would be discrimination. You would be you'd be uh, mean to somebody to let them if you if you let them be a natural human being or a biological or whatever the archaic term is for, for that. So that's, that's my retort for what we mean by so, social. No.
0: <laughs> well, you kind of touched on devos. So you want to go into, uh, Jeb Bush and his role in all of this crap.
1: Yeah, I believe their, their connection is he's funded a lot of charter schools. Now, again, there's so many acronyms. It's probably in the American foundation Tech, sorry
0: uh Michael Connor just said technological egalitarianism there you go
1: yeah there, there you go right Thanks, I mean, Michael they, you yeah.
0: just coined a new term unless you got it somewhere else good job buddy
1: <laughs> yeah well then Bush jeb Bush is another one that talks about the uh, that the, the, yes that being having access to online technologies and online charter schools is you know basically the next wave of the future um, and America, there's, there's, there's too many. The, the acronyms escape me, but he he funds per, uh, some private, uh, or I'm sorry, some um, uh, nonprofit foundations that basically fund charter schools, uh, and, and and some of those those institutions are the ones that Betsy DeVos has also put money into, and also they uh, have given speeches at some of the same, uh, conferences where they push this, the same education stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, that's Bush's main, main connection or jet yeah. yeah.
0: All right. You already hit UNESCO. That was on my list. Uh, we already, we already did BF Skinner. Um, Charter schools, removal of the teacher, final revolution, stimulus response methods of education. You want to hit that, or I think you did a little bit at the beginning. Do you want to go into that anymore?
1: Man, I could do a little history. I mean, I could I plug in some. We jumped, we threw up some names out that I could unpack a little. All bit. Right, I mean, so, we're gonna oh. have
0: to, we're gonna have to do a part three of this after the new year, I think.
1: Yeah, that's cool, man. That'll be fun. Very cool. Um, so stimulus response is the original term I would use or what we might otherwise call classical conditioning. Uh, a good book, if you want to read a good book on how um, this this method of psych- psychology became a method of education or a philosophy of education, and also pedagogy. The book is called the Leipzig, The Leipzig Connection, I believe. I have a- it, yeah. It's a little teeny thing. You can read yeah,
0: it. Yeah, a little white and, book. Yeah, I've got it. And it's
1: it, you know, a lot of block quotes from some of these people in their own words. And so it starts with basically Wilhelm Wundt uh, and how he, you know, basically he came up with the first.
0: Uh, Bernard psychology. Shaw. Sorry? Bernard Shaw. What about George Bernard Shaw? Uh, Isn't isn't OK. Maybe I, I'm reading something here. I think I was just trying to remember the name of the author of uh, of that book. Let's oh no, questions. that's Paolo
1: Leone, okay. and then there might there's you know some some has only Leone and the other one has a second author on it,
0: which right. is weird to me. I don't know why that is. Okay, sorry, go um, ahead. Didn't mean no, it's
1: okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, um. So so this, so vunt basically came up with the first. Uh, he he made psychology a science. He made he came up with the first laboratory for psychological experimentation. So he came up with the laboratory method. Before that, psychology was essentially a subdiscipline of philosophy okay uh and what he did was you know psychology actually means the study of the, the soul right or the spirit and basically you know for Vunt, kind of said that's never going to happen you know you're not going to get in there and grab the uh, an ounce or an inch of soul or spirit but you could basically study its impacts or effects essentially through what we'd say now, call now the nervous system right through your behavioral responses to stimuli so um you kind of essentially every uh behaviorist psycho- psychologist comes out of this school the, the uh the, it's about 600 phds i believe that come to uh, 400 and 600 there's a chart in the back for uh of the book on that uh and he came to america to basically uh spread this this uh type of psychology and basically it's what you know pavlov's dog is a good illustration right you can uh, associate you can condition the human mind to exhibit particular behaviors in response to particular stimuli by associating them with the rewards or the punishments and playing on that reward and punishment mechanism right and so the whole thing with pavlov's dog right he's he's hungry If you show him food, he salivates. If you ring the bell every time you give him the food, he salivates. You remove the food, you ring the bell, he salivates. Now he has this basically reward response to the bell. That's the stimulus response method, otherwise called classical condition. Later on, it gets brought over here by uh, G. Stanley Hall. uh, And G. Stanley Hall, uh, who's also very much a Hegelian uh, in the Hegelian philosophy, uh, he passes that down to uh, John Dewey, and John Dewey is one of the most important uh, figures in American education, he, uh, Columbia University, uh, University of Chicago, um, and he really, really sets the, the new method of education, which is a mixture of Hegelianism and the stimulus response stuff. Uh, under him comes out John B. Watson, who we mentioned earlier, right? The guy that did the little Albert experiment. He's referenced in Brave New World uh, as a character. It's uh, Helmholtz Watson. Um, and then there's others that come out of this, this same lineage, and that one would be uh, E. L. Thorndike. And he's the one that really kind of uh, popularizes or, I, I guess, uh, solidifies the whole. The skinny he's kind of where skinner got the skinner box idea from right he's the one that put the put the rats in the mazes and things like that and tried to figure out cognition he's also very much into education right these people are all right they're not just psychologists they're also edu- education philosophers or, or uh pedagogues right and uh i always thought it was weird when i was teaching when i was learning uh getting my teaching certificates too i had to learn educational psychology because i just thought it was weird because it's like how does me, on? Un- I'm not trying to tweak this person's brain. Like having a map of the cognition doesn't necessarily help me master my content and understand when I'm delivering it in an articulate manner that has clear steps that people can follow. You mean I like mean, I don't who, what, to-
0: where, when, then why, then how?
1: <laughs> I don't need to know everybody's different types of stimulus, their different uh, proclivities at the neurochemical level to be able to, you know, deliver a, you know, a, a good curriculum in a way that makes that makes sense right um but but you know after I learned about the history of educational psychology it's like oh okay i get it now i understand why we have to learn this because this is actually this is education is psychology i mean the, the two kind of basically go if, if you study it if you have a if you have a degree in it you're basically getting a degree in psychology and nowadays you're actually getting a little bit of a degree in some business practices too because if you're in edu- if you have an edd you're usually going to be an administrator that means you also have to know how to you know uh you know facilitate the grants and the public private partnerships you just you just, right but so so basically e.l Thorndike passes the torch off to bf skinner um and bf skinner you know he calls it uh for, for watson he, they change the names as you go so you know i watch my students i also tutor and i tutor all different uh uh disciplines you know so i get students inside and they're always confused about What's the difference between stimulus, the classical, the behaviorist, the operant? It's not a whole lot different. you know what I mean, like I try to tell them you know like, think of them all as pretty much the same thing with different quadrants. That's pretty much the same idea, but it's all based on bypassing the logos of the mind and getting to the pathos of the body or the nervous system. Uh, to, to get to, to elicit a particular response, and it plugs into what we talked about as far as career pathways to fill a quota for a caste system and the technology. That's pretty much the whole, the whole. That would be a good, I think, lineage of stimulus-response psychology. You know, and, and then now, now, just at this point, I guess I, I could add one more thing: is that at the after Skinner. The the lineage is no longer people. It's different types of software. Skinner passes the torch to the Skinner box. The Skinner box then goes on its own evolution, which is what Ray Kurzweil would call it. And basically it goes from an adaptive learning software that's on a screen to a, a biofeedback wearable that's either a headband or a bracelet that looks at your biometrics. And then eventually to a brain chip that interfaces with the AI and then you're now a new creature or the new man is uh, what like. To call it?
0: well put yep and we don't see anybody wearing those watches and all yet thank goodness
1: I you know you have to you know I and that's you know, I sound, I sound cynical or conspiratorial. You, do you remember I when think. a
0: phone was for calling people and a watch was for telling time?
1: <laughs> Look, they got Bose headphones. I saw an ad for Bose headphones. The ad is like this. Everybody's walking around looking at the phone, except the one dude that's got the Bose headphones on. He doesn't have to be blind to his phone because now he's got it on. It's got Alexa plugged into it. I'm sorry, I should say it. The, the Alexa is programmed into his Bose <sighs> so he can hear his music, whatever he's doing on his phone. They can
0: read it to them, et cetera. Yeah. And then, so and a, then Siri is Stanford Research Institute, which is CIA and blah, blah, blah. It's like, come on, people. It's MKUltra 3.0 here we're dealing with.
1: I mean, it, it's, it's on, it's
0: on, you know, I used to look
1: at it like kind of like, you know, kind of like you, you look at it from afar and you're like, if you you kind of look at the trajectory, if it keeps going and you feel like, well, you know, maybe, maybe it might take a different turn as you go. But then you see, you, keep, you see the next step and you see the next step that you, that's what they are. They're getting you comfortable to having this stuff on your body, and then eventually yeah. it'll Tip be. Tiptoe
0: totalitarianism. To... Yep, that's right.
1: Now, don't forget. Look, another company that wants to make the brain-computer interface is Facebook. Yeah. What's Facebook's main? Uh, their their main main line of getting it revenue it's data mining it's data mining your stuff you think that it's not going to data mine whatever's going on biochemically neuro neurobiologically and yeah, well they
0: they get a lot of money from the from the dnc too to not you know to suppress anything that has to do with conservatives you know
1: yeah i mean they definitely is a lot of uh censorship going on i you know I've, I've seen it even on the left as well i mean but you know yeah it's it's definitely anything that's not status quo for sure yeah for sure.
0: yeah i'll give you that yeah yeah I, so I what what else you want to add before we wrap it up
1: i think that's i think that's pretty good um yeah yeah, yeah i guess uh those are are pretty good ones there's a couple (laughs) other topics but we'll wait for those all right
0: well okay so next tuesday is christmas eve i probably will not do a show and uh we were going to have uh, steve back soon from um the perennial discussion uh you know steve jones from uh, philosophia perennis so we need to Get him on. I can't remember if he said after Christmas or after New Year. I'll have to go back and check or message him. That would probably help. But um, And then uh, so we can have you back, you know, either after Christmas or after New Year, however it plays out. Well, I'll follow up with you on that, get that scheduled with you. And uh, thanks, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for supporting the show and donating. You can uh, donate directly to contact at logosmedia.com. Or you can, uh, from PayPal, you can also click on the uh, Patreon link and uh, go there or donate via Bitcoin. Also, go to logosmedia.com, and uh, you can support the show there. Much needed support. And, John, where can people get your book, The School World Order?
1: So it's you can go to tryingday.com. You can get it straight from the publisher. Otherwise, it's on Amazon and it's on, you know, all the other distributors as well. You can get straight from the publisher at trying day. You can get it from my website at schoolworldorder.info. And then, you know, my contact information is on there as well. Those are all
0: ways. Cool. You want to give out your email address one more time? So it's Taoist Professor.
1: And it's Tao with a T. So it's T-A-O-I-S-T Professor at gmail.com
0: all right that's a good place to wrap it up for tonight and uh, we'll have you back here soon as we plug through your book and all of this stuff can't wait to get into the uh, uh, AI and, and uh, more Julian Huxley crap why is all of this stuff always associated with Huxley is it, at, what, at what point just one last question at what point in your research did you start going Huxley 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 you know.
1: That's what's that the beginning at the beginning <laughs> kinda of got me down the down the because I, I, I was given the novel by uh one of the people that taught me a lot of my martial arts and I read it and then I kinda of started hearing things about all oh, that I mentioned last time that I was a late learner about eugenics and they went and then I I was like, wait a minute and then I started looking at the history of the author and his brother and then it's it's just like you said, it's like it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> you, you can't get out of it.
0: Man, yeah. dude, that family, they destroyed a generation or two or three, you know. You know, and uh, real quick, Aldous Huxley used to live on the uh, next mountain ridge over here and uh, in, in Wrightwood. And, you know, if there was one person ever that should have been stopped, it's that guy, you know. It's like, man, they have things to take care of people like that. <laughs>
1: People always, when I mention that book, they're always like, I thought I thought the book was against all that. And it's the hardest conversation because you have to give them all of this history. And they're just like, what are you talking about?
0: It's, yeah, yeah. And then you look like you're crazy because you got to <laughs> give like a, you know, took me like eight, nine years to lay out all this stuff about the damn Huxley family, you know? And it's like, yeah, man, that, that guy is the, the Huxleys, probably the biggest psychopaths the most detrimental family to the history of humanity ever. Um, I can't, you know, you could say Alistair Crowley or Hassani Sabah or Dr. John D. or, you know, some of these characters, but, you know, and they're all in there. Tim Leary, they're all in there, but then you have Aldous Huxley. You know, there's no, there is no, you know, Aldous Huxley is what the 500 Smith & Wesson should have been invented for.
1: Well, interesting fact we'll we'll probably end with this one is that, you know, he died. I think, I think we talked about this before. He died on the exact same day and same year as John F. Kennedy and also C. S. Lewis.
0: Did you is, did you see my in my article, Spies in Academic Clothing, how the whole death thing is a fraud and all of that? And I could write a whole paper just on the connection between JFK's assassination and Aldous Huxley's so called death. Of course, Uh, Laura Huxley dosed Aldous Huxley with a a ton of drugs. And then uh, uh, Sidney Cohen, you know, she's consulting Sidney Cohen for this, supposedly. And then, uh, you know, the whole thing is a death cult. The psychedelics have always been used in death cults. You know, Magic Mushrooms were the uh, Aztec uh, death cult. but uh, So this became the foundation of using psychedelics to aid in death. And of course, it's all based on nonsense and Laura Huxley's hearsay, but that is the whole foundation of it. But she contacts Sidney Cohen, another CIA MKUltra doctor, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, just shoot him up with a bunch of heroin and LSD and, you know, stick a whole bunch of crap, dirt, who knows, whatever else she stuck in the syringe and shot him up with it. And at least that's what's claimed. And then it was lights out for him. But uh, he had recruited Tim Leary to the CIA's MKUltra program the day that JFK was elected.
1: Oh, that I didn't know. Now that's uh, now that's really odd.
0: Right, right. Oh, it's it's just you know coincidence for all the coincidence theorists <laughs> out there. It's just coincidence because you know we don't want to put on a a Julian Huxley tinfoil hat or something, you know. So oh,
1: I, I, yeah. And I learned about that the way that he got that dose, you know, on his deathbed. When I, from your research, and I, you, I mean, and then you learn the day, and you got to assume on the same day that this other person is dead. That's, I mean, it's just that certainly uh, well, the, it is was, a very, uh, very big coincidence. I'll right. Well, it, he was
0: his arch nemesis, so I think it was like, yeah, my nemesis is dead. You know, I mean, but like I said, you know, if if there was any purpose that the five hundred Smith and Wesson should have been invented for. It should have been invented for Aldous Huxley. You know, just atomize that fuck. <laughs> anyway, I'll leave it there, folks. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. There's a little, uh, you know, freedom of consciousness for you to to hit the holidays. You know, it's good, good politically correct stuff to bring up over the Christmas family dinner. <laughs>
1: hey, man, you know, you're with... Everybody's wearing them. you are using the devices, you know. Yeah, there you go. Common topic. All right.
0: right. Good night, everyone. Thanks for uh, tuning in tonight. See you after the holidays. If I decide to do a show next week, you'll all be there. But you'll all probably be having your Christmas dinners or whatever. So we'll see. And uh, good night. See you then. And see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.